0: Welcome to Beyond the
1: Roadmap, product talk with AWH, a podcast for product people, by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products.
0: Yeah, so thanks for jumping on. Absolutely excited to be here. I was looking at the the people that, that had RSVP'd and there's actually people from across the country and and who are in meetups in Austin and Boston and LA and Portland so i guess one of the good things about you know the the evolution of these kinds of conversations to being virtual is that you you're not just speaking to you know a, a local audience right there's there's a little bit more of a, a purview and an access which i think is is spectacular because i think it often even inside of disciplines like you know, design and product in a local community, because we're both in, Col- in Columbus, totally. it, can, it can start to feel a little, um, you know, incestuous and a, and a little sort of closed <laughs> in, right? It is a tight knit community, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So um, I'm glad that, that, you know, doing this virtually, that people can sort of uh, come together from, you know, all across the land, um, you know, to, to join the conversation. Um so you have a pretty multi multi dimensional background in UX, heavy research, heavy strategy, design, of course, implementation, of course. Because if you're going to do the research and the strategy and the design, right, you know, you know, might as well put it put it into into use, right? Yeah, man, uh, got to make it work. So, do you look at your background at, in in UX differently than what a a typical designer's background might be? Because it seems like you've come at this from a little bit more of a analytical, scientific and sort of research-centered place than just creating beautiful things.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's 100% true. Um, and you know, when I think about UX, I think of the more you know, really uh, classic definition of UX where you're really trying to think about all the interactions that a business might have um, with an end user and so for me um you know yeah i think a traditional designer may come at it from more of a you know purely ui kind of perspective and then slowly kind of feel their way into different areas um for me you you put it so nicely that it's a multi-dimensional but you know going through my career it kind of felt like i was just uh getting to a place where i hit a failure moment and really was just like okay so that didn't work what was i missing And so whenever I was at OSU working on a health tech startup, the one thing that we failed to do is really get a deep understanding of our users before we sat down to really think about, you know, how to build this thing. And so that led me to a career uh, in user research. Uh, In user research, you know, at McGraw-Hill, I was, uh, you know, kind of frustrated by we had all these great insights, but no real way to, um, you know, take action on those, Uh, which led me to, uh, you know, Beam and then Resource Amorati, which is now IBM IX, Uh, to really put those research insights into solid action. And then now at Beam, I do a lot more like just enablement, like pure enablement, uh, because we're a small, super fast-moving fintech company. And so a lot of it is just kind of feeling your way through it. But yeah, I appreciate you uh, assembling that into a very eloquent uh, multidisciplinary package. That's a great way to think about it.
0: I didn't feel that way going through it. It almost never does, right? Right. And you sort of come out the other side of it. And and if you're going to take the sort of good aspects out of it, it, it it, it seems more valuable than when you were going through it. And it seems sort of, you know, unfocused and disjointed. And you're just sort of trying to go from you know, this thing to, you know, gig to gig to sort of figure out, all right, is this it? Have I landed, you know, where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Totally. Right. And I think for a lot of, of creative people in particular, right, that, that's a challenge, right, along the way, right? Because it's not, a, it's not just about plying the craft. It's about are you plying the craft to a problem that you're interested in? Are you applying the craft in an environment that you're interested in? with other with other teammates that that you find interesting right and that sort of em, embolden you right so it can feel i think kind of disjointed it, but in the end it's almost like a compass that's directing you right and you're you're sort of get picking a new direction you know as part of each of those each of those gigs
1: yeah i think a compass is like a really good analogy right like you know, I was such a classic millennial, like on my career for a meeting quest. Um, and I always just, you know, had this fascination from a really young age, you know, how can I have the biggest possible impact on the world? Um, and I think like each kind of path just led me to, I wouldn't say a dead end, but just a point where, um, you know, I couldn't really push the boundaries anymore. And so I had to really just take that logical next step uh, to have that bigger impact. So whether it was, you know, getting a deeper, understanding of how to do really meaningful user research or figuring out how to take that into the right strategy um, or actually figuring out how to execute on the right strategy and then put all that back into, uh, you know, a more consistent feedback
0: loop. The, um, you, what did your background about UX and, and now, that, now that you have a whole, more holistic sort of responsibility around product, right? What did UX sort of teach you about the way that users think and what they value versus the way that most product managers and product owners do
1: now that's an, that's an awesome question i think about this a lot um yeah two really big things i think uh that i pull from sort of my ux days into my product days now one i think is you know like i was saying like value that you're creating as a company Uh, comes from every single interaction that you have with a customer. It's not just a specific product line. It's not just the mobile app. It's not just the website. It's really the totality of all those steps in the journey. And how can you make those um, really work together to deliver an entire um, value proposition to someone? So it's not just enough to have a really compelling UI in your mobile app if you don't have really great customer support. Uh, So you kind of have to really think about how you work all those together. Um, The other thing I think you and I were kind of half joking about before everyone got on here, but, you know, the world doesn't see everything like we do. Uh, Everyone sees everything the way they are. Right. And so really getting a deep understanding of who your customers are, what their perspective is, what their struggle points are, you know, what are their hopes and desires, and then really figuring out how to deliver a lot of value to them. Um, are two really big things that I think I, you know, draw upon in my product days uh, now that I think, you know, a normal product designer or manager might not have, right? Like, traditionally, the role is, is comes from, you know, um, CPG world where maybe you're, you know, building, um, you know, uh, canned soup or microwave dinners, right? And so that's like it, right? Like, you see the the object uh, in the store, uh, you buy it, and that's kind of the end of the journey. Uh, but now that, you know, we have technology that basically is omnipresent and completely surrounds us, you know, it's very present in your everyday life. And you've really got to think about that uh, as, a, as a digital product manager.
0: How, how do you sort of now think about... Um... UX research as a discipline beyond typical UX validation and feedback that most designers and product teams are after. Right, most of us that, that are into building products, you know, we, we we do some upfront work, right, with 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 users and customers around what they want or what they value and why they value it and and how it's going to impact them, and then and then we go create something and we take it back to them and we say, you know how close are we, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Or, you know, we're, you know, completely off base and, you know, it's like we didn't listen at all Um, (laughs) versus sort of UX research, which I think, you know, in, in very layman's terms, sort of doesn't think about the end product as much as really peeling back the layers around the problem and where customers are, right. And what they value, and, and so how much value is there in that, in, in UX research, being disconnected from a product to really be super valuable to a product?
1: Yeah, no, totally. I think you really hit the nail on the head there. You know, it is is less about, um, you know, what do you think of my product? You know, what are your likes or dislikes of it? How could we improve it? And it's more just really a deep understanding of who this person is as a human being or who this market segment is based on, you know, a set of traits, Um, you know, it's really easy in the traditional UX sense to get kind of caught up in the user interface um, and think about the fact that, hey, the only thing that matters in this person's life is like what's on this screen. But in reality, uh, there's a human on the other end of that screen. uh, And that human has a whole past uh, that is shaping their reality. They have a whole set of constraints um, and cultural uh, implications that are put on them. Right, and so user experience research, in my mind, is really about diving deep into that uh, and really uncovering who these people are, uh, what kind of a world they live in, and where can you best add value to their life.
0: And is 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 that you know a a a jobs to be done you know sort of methodology in your mind Is, is is that too boxed in is it and is that too sort of regimented because it seems like and it feels like. We still don't, by and large, understand our users and, and our customers as well as we could. Part of that is because we get impatient and we just want to start <laughs> building things because building things feels like progress, right? And so for you, what is good user sort of research and, and sort of discovery, what, is that, what does that feel like? And, and, and is there a wrapper or a methodology that you like as part of that?
1: Yeah, for sure. No, great question. I think jobs to done, you know, at a high level is something uh, that really distills it down until like it's really core essence. Um, and it's a great way to kind of like communicate it to an audience that maybe isn't as steeped in kind of um, user research. But to me, you know, it's it's more rooted in both qualitative and quantitative, but mostly in the social sciences. So a lot of it pulls from psychology, anthropology, sociology, um, and really trying to you know get at what is that like core need or motivation that is really driving this person to, to do this right. What is going to motivate them to go through you know all your sign up screens? Uh, you know, read everything that uh, they need to about your company to figure out how to use this. Uh, you know, a lot of products require you to change some kind of behavior that you're doing today. Which, as humans, we love to just automate and habituate. You know, like our days away, right? So our brains can can focus on other things, and so it's a lot of effort to to adopt a new product or service. And so you know, you've really got to get down um, to the sort of you know below sub levels, right? Like, is this person really motivated to uh, create a legacy for their family uh, or what are they really after um, whenever they're trying to use your product? And so I think the jobs to done framework is like a really great kind of surface level, uh, high level way to communicate it. You know, a lot of executives or, or, or senior leadership seem to gravitate towards that sort of framework. Um, but the actual user research science uh, in my mind is, is there's a couple couple steps below where you really want to understand those deep needs Uh, motivations. You know, whenever I was at uh, McGraw Hill uh, as a user research, we used to just go sit in classrooms for hours on end and never once ask them about any of the products that were McGraw Hill that they were using. We were purely there to just understand, you know, what it was like to to be in a teacher's shoes uh, day in and day out today. You know, I'm a little bit removed uh, at this point from from being in uh, K through 12, quite different now, Um, you know, they're all on Chromebooks, they're all using, um, you know, Google documents, Uh, you know, there's a whole new world of of kind of being teased. Uh, You know, I was there when one student went into, you know, Google Drive and deleted a a kid's entire report because you could collaborate in there. And so, you know, just observing those kinds of insights are so priceless. um, When you actually get down to starting to think about, you know, what what is this product? How's it going to fit into this person's life? Um and how's this really going to drive value
0: jonathan it, ain't nobody got time for all that. <laughs> <It's> libraries <laughs> we, we, we got we got stuff we got stuff to build we just got a ship right what right come on haven't <laughs> you, know, you you know followed the silicon Valley mantra of you know, <laughs> um, you, know you know fail fast and break things and right uh, exactly uh, yeah. It
1: worked for Zuck. Why? You know, look where that turned out, right? right Facebook, exactly. Right.
0: It's it's meta at this point, <laughs> literally. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is it is one of the reasons that, that we still have so much sort of product and user friction is because of a lack of really good in depth user sort of research and analysis. Because it still feels like, even though everybody knows. We should build alongside users. We should iterate alongside users. You know, we should we should validate with them. We should incorporate their feedback right into our roadmaps and all of this. It still feels like lots of products get built with lots of friction points some some major, some minor, but still lots of, of friction points. And is, does that really go back to the fact that that we don't really know how to do very good user? ux research and and we sort of still build a little too much in a vacuum yeah i think i think it does i think you know one
1: one thing that i've found though is i've moved you know um into head of product and you know in a startup that, that very much embraces the move fast and break things um, mentality uh for a number of reasons but it's it's really hard to um you know, kind of balance everything whenever you're in that situation, right? Like you've got really three competing demands whenever you're creating a new product or service. Uh, you know, like you've really got to think about desirability, right, being the most important thing. Like, what does the end consumer of this really want? Um, but then you've also got kind of like feasibility from a technology perspective, and and you know, what can we actually do with the resources we have? And then at the end of the day, you know, unless you're doing a nonprofit or some kind of a governmental agency, you're running a business, too. Uh, And so at Rove, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to balance that sort of trifecta. And there's just this like insanely uh, like tension. But I think it's a really good tension where you sort of have to push pull on things. And sometimes, you know, technology wins out because uh, whatever tech stack you chose to use uh, really, you know, is not going to be able to enable that super uh, clean and frictionless experience that we want, or the business uh, just has some objective that we're really trying to hit um, that maybe isn't always in, you know, the best use of, of the user. Uh, right. Um, and so it's, it's really a balance I think, but yeah, user research is, is always something that I think, you know, people take for granted or will immediately kind of skip over um, or not really see the insane value um, of actually getting some of those insights.
0: So you mentioned Rove. <clears throat> so you're a co-founder, you're in charge of product there. Give everybody a little bit of a background on Rove, right? What what um what problem you guys solve and and sort of who you're solving it for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Rove is kind of like the Robin Hood for real estate. Uh, except for, I like to say, we're going to give you better returns. Um, And so in similar fashion, how Robinhood kind of democratized stock trading, we're going to do that for real estate. Uh, And so it's pretty easy to look in the news today and see how out of reach, you know, homeownership uh, is getting, or just how insane the real estate market is for today. Uh, You know, now at like, you know, 35 to 40 millennials are finally starting to, to own some properties, but only about two years ago, Your average millennial had zero net real estate wealth, which is a huge problem because real estate historically has been where a lot of people have made a a significant amount of wealth. Um, And so we're really trying to fix that uh, for millennials um, and um, Gen Z as well. Uh, It's it's a whole new way to invest uh, where you can actually download the app, uh, invest in an individual commercial real estate building, uh, all for just a dollar in about a minute, which is insane. You know, thinking about the traditional home ownership, uh, path today, you know, you're looking at 60 to 90 days. If you can actually find a house that you can afford to, you know, put a a down payment in. And so now you can get exposure to, um, you know, real estate right in your own communities, uh, right now. And so we're on a really ambitious mission to, um, create a trillion dollars worth of real estate wealth for a billion people globally. Um, and so that's what we're up to. We're super excited. We've been at it since about uh, 2019. Uh, I've had an amazing uh, couple of co-founders, Calvin Cooper, who I know you know, uh, and then Jonathan Slim, um, who uh, was at um, Nationwide Children's um, and a couple other agencies here before that. So really fortunate to to get to work with so many amazing people there.
0: How's it? How's it been for you? It, 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 one being a co-founder, two also you know being in charge of of product holistically versus more sort of focused UX, right, r- r- roles? What's, what's that evolution been for, for you personally? Yeah, it's been, it's been really challenging. I mean, I think the role itself,
1: you know, uh, as a startup is just a lot of trade-offs and a lot of really hard decisions. You know, like I said, we're always trying to, to manage that kind of healthy tension between desirability, feasibility, and viability. Um, and so, you know, uh, we're always trying to think about what is the right thing for the end user. But at the end of the day, we're a small, lean startup with limited resources. We can only do so much. Uh, but we all have, like, huge, grand visions. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, if we've got this, you know, grand vision at the end of the day, what do we do today to, to really make this meaningful? Uh, and so, you know, just to give you an example, when we first launched, you know, uh, there's an insane amount of work that goes into building, you know, a financial product, uh, and financial systems from scratch. And so the very first thing we did was like, okay, the simplest thing that we have to do is get a savings account. Right. And so everyone's going to need some way to transfer money in and out of Grove. And so that was a meaningful product that we had. Uh, the next evolution was, okay, what if you could invest in the apartment that you live in? Right. And so we actually did, um, uh, an NFT blockchain-based solution where you could invest in the apartment that you lived in. Uh, and you were the actual owner um, of a piece of that, which was super meaningful to people who, you know, in their lifetime had never had this opportunity to, to be an owner. Uh, and now that we've broadened that up, right, you know, what we found in that sort of last iteration was it's not just enough to have only the people living in that building invest you also want the people you know, across the street to be able to take advantage of that community so much more than just the residents of that building. You know, Take uh, Gravity, for example, which is one of our properties. You know, there's a really robust community there um, of residents, but there's also people um, you know, like Kenny that run the Roosevelt, uh, Pelotoni is there, BarkBox is there. And so why can't we let them uh, invest and own in the places that they love and work too? And so it's just been a, um, a real uh, challenging experience. You know, I've had to really call into question uh, a lot of my own values and beliefs um, and get comfortable with, you know, some humble pie here and there. Um, <laughs> you know, I think in, in my UX strategy days, it was like, you know, if we could just have that perfect vision or if we could just do that, you know, perfect research. Um, but at the end of the day, it's so hard to, to take that perfect research and perfect vision and turn it into a
0: reality. Do you think that it's it's easier to to take that s- sort of ideal vision and sort of ideal end state and capture it in a, a larger enterprise than a startup, or do you think that there are challenges irrespective of the size of organization and sort of size of uh, and, and state of the product?
1: No, for sure. I do think, um, yeah, you know, when you're a larger organization uh you you definitely have more resources to to put uh towards things uh but something at rove that that we've really felt uh, has been a huge unlock for us is just putting constraints on the project right so you know there's kind of this um uh zen-like state that you have to reach where if you give yourself too much time you're gonna take it or too much resources you're you're ultimately going to fill that in um, but if you give yourself too little, then you really start to get into a place of you're cutting too many corners and it's not meaningful. And so I think this is going to, you know, we'll see. But uh, we're hoping to really scale that up. Um, you know, when I think back to when we used to consult to, to major, you know, Fortune 500 companies uh, at IBM iX, you know, working with various different clients that had, you know, multi-million dollar budgets um, and would take years on uh, to, to get a product to market you know, some of that seems a little too much to, you know, in hindsight now, it's like, if you give yourself three years and $10 million, it's going to take three years and $10 million. Um, versus at Rove, we, we've we come up with these sort of 30 day to one week roadmaps, um, where we want to make meaningful change um, in our business in 30 day to one week. Um, so we're actually, you know, uh, just moving so fast right now in terms of things, but we're we're figuring out right now how we can actually buy and sell crypto in less than a week, and so something that uh, you know took Coinbase years, we're going to try and figure out how to do in a week.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> Where have you been the most challenged through through this? You know, coming from a mostly UX centric you know background and, and professional experience into to now a more holistic product uh, role and perspective. Yeah, for sure.
1: I think the biggest one for me is, is really, um, you know, working on that sort of uh, feasibility section of that track vector, right? I think, you know, coming at it from UX and user research, uh, you really get that deep desirability of what users want. Um, and, you know, that doesn't always work for, for a business, right? Like at, at the end of the day, you've got to, you know, charge money in some way. Uh, and if you're not charging money, then you're you're basically turning the user into the product, which no one wants, right? And you basically have what Facebook is today. And so that's been um, a good stretch for me to really, you know, think about what it means to actually create business viability and how to really balance those things. Um, and I think more than that, you know, I, I've really just had to kind of check my own ego uh, at the door and, and know that, you know, some of the things that uh, you know, I held as as really sincerely held beliefs as a UX or a consultant. You know, when you're out in the arena, it's, it gives you a really different perspective on, on what it means to, um, you know, actually get this stuff built.
0: Yeah. It is. It, it, was this a calculated strategic next step for you <laughs> to, to, Become the, the co founder of a company and to be in charge of of product, or was this an opportunistic thing where the Rove you know, you had the opportunity to join Rove and 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 then you were like okay well you know let's do it. Yeah,
1: no, great question. I would love to tell you that I had some you know five year vision written down somewhere or like the the Jim Carrey story where he you know wrote himself a two million dollar check and cashed it on the day or whatever, but that is like totally not the case. Uh, quite the opposite, actually, I think, you know, I was pretty heavily involved in the startup space, um, you know, working at Beam and um, just being involved in a number of organizations here around Columbus. Uh, and I kind of like decided I wasn't going to do that ever again. <laughs> um, and uh, it was pretty much at that moment that the the Rove uh, opportunity came up. Um, and so, you know, I always said were, that if I was were- going to. Sorry, you, rever-
0: but- you reverse manifested. I'm you never going to do this again, and of course, immediately then then the Rove opportunity was there.
1: Totally, that is a a bit of a theme in my life, unfortunately. So I feel like I've got a reverse psychology, my uh, manifestations here. Uh, but yeah, the uh, I I always said if I was going to do it, it would be co-founder, um, and so you know I, I had the opportunity to sort of support, um, become co-founder. And then once we got the funding, you know, it was just uh, it was too good of an opportunity to, to not take this. Uh, but honestly, you know, subconsciously, I think I was growing somewhat frustrated. I think just by my role as, as sort of purely UX strategy, um, you know, just really chomping at the bit, I think, to, to get in that more decision maker role um, and that seat that can have kind of a larger impact on the product. Um, because you end up being really the CEO of, of kind of the experience, uh, that you're delivering. And so while, you know, I'm always one to, to really push the boundaries in whatever role I'm in, you know, I'm never one to, to believe that your title has to define you. Um, you know, at the end of the day, there is only so much you can do when you're not kind of in that decision-making seat. Uh, and so being in that role, um, has, has been something that I definitely wanted to, to, to take on. And it's been a really uh, fun and exciting time since then.
0: What have you leveraged from your UX background the most? And do you think a UX background is a good sort of training ground to then be in a product role? Do you think there are better training grounds? Um, And if so, what are those, right? How do you now sort of look at your experience in UX and how it translated to now being in charge of product? Yeah, I mean, I honestly can't think of a better
1: path to product management, um, especially in in the digital space. Um, I'm obviously biased uh, and, you know, this is my world that I live in. And so I'm going to say that it's the best. Um, There could be better paths, but, you know, just some of the skills that I feel like you pick up in UX, like, you know, understanding uh, the customer and getting that deep empathy and really knowing uh, how important that is and how to advocate on behalf of that user. Uh, really thinking about it from more of a total system perspective uh, and really leveraging system thinking. You know, um, in the early days of Rove, we got real caught up and kind of doing all these sort of unique one-offs for different different customers Um, because, you know, we were trying to make a sale, right? Uh, And that was really important for us to move forward. Uh, But I think taking a step back now, everything we do is really more from a system approach. And so how do we build that system? Um, and then have different uh, customers fit into that system. And then the third thing that I think is really really important is just prototyping. Um, and so, how do you prototype uh, and get something to market so that people can get a read on it? And so, after you've developed that really deep, um, you know, empathy, created that system, you know, what is the lightest weight piece of something that we can we can get out there? Um, and so, you know, with those constraints, right, like. Whenever you do something in a week or 30 days, uh, you know, it's, it's basically a prototype at best, right? Um, you know, the front end may look like that experience, but the back of that maybe isn't connected to a really robust, uh, you know, database that uh, accounts for all the sort of off happy path situations. It's like basically a, a spreadsheet or there's someone there every night that's like making that thing work. And So I think you know thinking at it from sort of a prototype perspective uh, has been really, really helpful um, in, in in what I'm doing now, as well as that sort of system thinking and developing that deep empathy.
0: Uh, often, different craftspeople can, even though every role inside of creating a product is is really a relationship role, right. But if you're a crafts person or on UX or UI or you're an engineer or you're a DevOps person, right? Whatever your sort of contribution or your craft is inside of a, of a product, um, you, 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 can, you can get a little sort of siloed, right? In just your craft, right? Totally. Where, where if you're in charge of the whole product, you can't be sort of too craft narrow, for black term, right? Have you had to deal with that a little bit coming from a a UX sort of background and and being really sort of heavily involved in one craft aspect of the product and and getting more and and figuring out, okay, how do I be a more holistic thinker and how do I sort of think about how this impacts engineering more than I used to, right? Or how this affects DevOps more than I used to. Can you talk about that of how, you know, you have to sort of almost evolve out beyond that initial craft to being even more empathetic for the other crafts that have to make a product <laughs> work? Yep. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. That's,
1: that's so true. Um, yeah. So I think I was, I was fortunate, you know, at beam and in other roles where I did get to work really part and parcel um, with the engineers that were building the product. Um, and it was really you know, humbling. I'm going to say um, to to see you know all the things that you know you may propose in this grandiose vision of this uh, you know amazing experience. But when you actually think about, okay, cool. Now, how do I actually code that or build that? Um, it just gives you an entirely new perspective. Uh, likewise, you know, working with uh, sales teams or or business development um, folks, you know, they're thinking about, okay, well, how do I you know sell this or or how do I make this more meaningful. And, you know, I think when I was at McGraw Hill and worked with, with sales folks a lot of time, you know, I didn't really, you know, I kind of uh, didn't take their perspective maybe as, as serious as, as I kind of should have or could have. But now that I'm, you know, heading up this organization and, you know, ultimately, you know, the buck stops at, at me and two other people on whether we're successful or not, you've really got to lean in there, um, develop, you know, take those empathy skills and direct them internally to your team. Um, because, sure, we could, you know, figure out how to how to get this done uh, and enable this experience. But maybe that means that, you know, your team of engineers, like, doesn't sleep for, for two weeks, right? Um, and what does that mean for them? Does that really put them in the best mindset to, to be creating these really meaningful products?
0: How do you think about outcomes now differently, right? Because as, as a UX person, you know, the, the outcomes are maybe different than... In, in thinking about outcomes as, as an owner of a product, have you sort of shifted your thinking around what success means and in, in, in what outcomes you're looking for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think at, at Resource, we were already pr- pretty focused on like, okay, what's the actual business objective we're trying to drive here? Uh, and we're really you know good about trying to, to set that up. Uh, You know, we did a a project at um, the Wexner Medical Center where we were working on their patient experience for all of their hospitals. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that they really cared a lot about was this sort of customer satisfaction score. Um, And, you know, there are very intricate parts of of what that satisfaction score meant. And so, you know, looking into those like five or six things that we just really had to nail um, and figure out how we could drive behavior there really helped shape like the whole project. Um, and making more meaningful. And so, you know, I take all that into Rove. We're a huge sort of OKR, EOS company um, where we have always, you know, every week take a look at our OKRs and, you know, are very performance management based, trying to think about, okay, you know, this OKR metric is really moving forward well. Like, how do we double down on this other one that's not? Or maybe we need to lean more into this specific OKR and so I think you know a lot of that uh, really does shape how you think about it, so you know some of the things that you know would be really nice to have or would be really great product experiences that could deliver a lot of value ultimately don't have a direct correlation to to whatever outcome you're trying to achieve at this day. And so you know, limited time, limited resources, you've got to like make those tough decisions uh, and really stay focused there,
0: yeah. So, if somebody, so if a, a practitioner from a, a UX perspective, UI perspective, you know, even maybe as a, you know, as a project manager now or or some other you know um, role and discipline is either thinking about, or just finds themselves right with the opportunity to to now be in product more holistically than their individual uh, contributor role. What advice would you give them now as part of that transition since you've, you've experienced it and gone through it?
1: Yeah, I would say um, uh, be gentle with yourself. Uh, give yourself some self-compassion. Uh, you know, you're in a new role. Uh, you're not going to know everything. Uh, you know, I always took kind of a do-fail-learn approach uh, when I was thinking about it. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when you first pick up an iPhone, if anyone can actually remember that and point in their life at now. You know, you didn't read an instruction manual on how to use an iPhone or, or really think about, um, you know, what was the right approach to using an iPhone. Right. You just kind of started doing it. Um, and ultimately, you hit a fail point where you couldn't figure out how to do something. And at that moment, you then learned. And so I really take that approach to, to my career, honestly, um, where I kind of hit a fail point uh, and then, you know, learn from it. Um, I would read a lot, too. Um there's just so much out there uh, in the internet today. Uh, just so much great content. Um, depending on whether you're at a large organization or a startup, you know I would point you to maybe different people. Uh, Marty Kagan is like one of the all-time greatest like kind of product managements. Uh, he's the founder and partner at Silicon Valley Product Group. He's wrote two really great books, um inspired and empowered. Uh, His audience is really for, you know, you're running or part of, you know, a 70 to 80 person sort of product team in a large organization. But there's just some insanely good insights there that we even take uh, some of that uh, just sort of their empowered teams mindset uh, into the startup and how we think about things. So I would definitely uh, read a lot. Talk to people, too. I mean, there's so many uh, people that are out there doing this today, have been doing this. Um, and, you know, I think we all kind of get like, oh, you know, uh, we all get that kind of Midwest humble. Uh, well, I guess we've got people from from all over the world here. But, you know, normally people are really open to, to talking um, about their experiences or their career and are, are honestly normally flattered uh, that you would ask them for their opinions on stuff. And so just getting coffee with people. Um, whenever you can or lunch or, or going to events like this, um, I think is another really, really great way where you can just hear people's perspectives. You know, it's not like you can go to school to become a product manager, right? There's no product manager um, institute out there that, that has like a body of knowledge for you. Um, so getting out there and talking to practitioners, I think is another great way. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think you've just got to like roll up your sleeves and, and try it out. So if you're in a product role, Um, You know, you're already in the driver's seat, able to take that on. If you're not, you know, figure out ways that within your current job, you can kind of take on some of those product like responsibilities. Um, You know, whenever we were at IBM IX, we were constantly, you know, pushing the boundaries of what it meant to be UX and UX strategy um, and moving that further and further into, you know, what I consider to be more of, um, you know, product manager today.
0: Is there now that now that you've been in the product role a little bit for um you know in Rove is there anything that you now see that you could have been more prepared or is that just sort of Monday morning quarterbacking and it, 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 you you would have had had no way to realistically know that you could have been more prepared and and done anything about it
1: yeah um I don't know. You know, I, I had the the benefit of of being at an early stage startup um, with Beam um, for, for a while. Uh, so I kind of got a little bit of a taste of it there. Um, and, you know, even before I joined Beam, I was I was very heavily involved in like your startup weekends um, here in town or, or other kind of hackathons like that that start to give you a taste of what it's like. But when you're a co-founder and kind of heading it up, uh, it's a whole different uh, roller coaster that you're riding. Um, And so I've, you know, just tried to uh, uh, I actually got some really sage advice uh, on my way out from my old manager who she actually started um, her own consultancy and and ran it for a number of years. But she was like, you're going to have extreme highs and extreme lows as you're going through this. Um, It's best if you don't get like too excited about the highs or too down about the lows. Just try and stay as even keeled about things as possible. And that has been some of just the best advice. Uh, So many times in life, just having the right mindset uh, can completely change whatever you're up to. And so from, you know, a skills perspective, sure, I probably could have could have read more um, or, you know, maybe gotten an MBA to like know more about the business side of things. Um, But ultimately, I think just having the right mindset is really the best thing that you can take into any kind of a new experience like this.
0: Yep. Makes sense. If anybody's got a question for Jonathan, we'll take a couple, Um, just ask to be unmuted and then then, uh, we'll get you unmuted and then you can ask Jonathan your question. Or you can throw it in the chat if you're shy. Or, if nobody has any questions, then uh, we will wrap up. Oh, let's push him. Yeah. Hey, oh, hey, Ryan. What's up, man? Yeah, How's, good. It, How's going?
1: it going? <laughs> good, how are you? good, man. So, Your hair's looking nice today.
0: Oh, yours as well. We used to work <laughs> at uh, IBM IX together years ago. Yeah. Um, I was just going I why, does, why does Ryan look so much younger than you if you guys work together? <laughs> no. Oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know Ryan was my uh, my boss there for a little bit.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Yeah, so, go ahead. Let's uh, pop up pop up a few weeks. I'm like, man, I gotta see what Jonathan's up to. Um, I, know, so to I was you. just going to ask, just uh, just good good, uh, just curious. Um, back to the user research. I love that aspect. Um, does user research or research like that ever stop?
1: I don't think it does. Um, I think, you know, you can, you can only learn so much when you're out there. And I think, you know, there's nothing to replace a solid foundation of research, but you know, humans are dynamic. Culture is dynamic. Um, different things are going to happen that may, you know, impact that. And so I think really getting back out as much as you can outside of the building to reobserve and kind of check in on cultural trends is really really important. And then obviously once you have a product in market, you know just developing that constant feedback loop uh, from end users I think is is also really really important. You know it's so easy to uh, you know have uh, assumptions internally, uh, and I think that is like one of the big killers of products. Right, is just assuming. Uh, that you know someone's going to love this or someone's going to hate this or this experience is meeting them exactly right and you know we rely a lot on data uh, in a startup because that can give you kind of immediate uh, feedback on on actual behavior but at the end of the day data only gives you so much it's really nothing without that really deep kind of qualitative to wrap context around what's going on there so yeah great question um, I don't That's think awful,
0: no, yeah, I was just really curious to hear from you. Um, uh, in that more product ownership standpoint and staying with the product over time. Just kind of curious how that works from that standpoint. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Continue. absolutely. Great question, Megan to see you. <clears throat> hey Jonathan, especially as part of product led growth now, which is almost seemingly all sort of quantitative, right, and data driven. Like how are how yeah. are how are users using the product? Where are they getting hung up? Right. Where are they falling out? Where are they abandoning? You know, et cetera. It feels like we're, we're, we're the scales have tipped way, way toward the quantitative now, and sort of the analytics data side, and we're losing a lot of the qualitative. Where you just rarely hear about product teams getting out into the field and ex- actually observing the situations and the environments that their products are are used in, even if they're digital products, right? Um, it still matters when and where someone's using it, right? And the environment in which they're using it in, right? And whether there's traction they have, right? Is there a way, do you think that we've gone, the pendulum has swung too far to the, the, the quantitative side? And, and if so, how do we sort of get it and nudge it back to the, uh, an equal balance with qualitative, or maybe not even equal, but at least a little bit more balance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, people really like numbers, right? They feel very tangible and, and solid. Um, and we've kind of grown up with them our entire lives. Um, and, you know, important, influential people will throw out numbers all the time. But it almost feels like this kind of false security blanket sometimes um, that, oh, you know, 90% of, um, you know, our our downloads are creating accounts or whatever. So we must be killing it. It's got to be great, right? But personally, you know, I feel like the data can only tell you so much. Um, And I think the data can also, you know, really be a crutch sometimes. Uh, And it should never fully replace, you know, actually getting out and getting that deeper context, you know, to your point, people have whole lives that happen outside of your, you know, product or service, right, that the data is never going to touch, no matter how much uh, Facebook or Instagram tracks you around the internet, Right? You're never going to get that total 360 picture of that person without talking to them. It's also really easy to make um, you know, the wrong assumption from the data, too. Um, and so you know, if you just look at a single data point, not in context from a trend line, or you're not looking at the more important data point, you know, it's really, really easy to, um, to miss that. So how do we get that back? You know, some of the stuff that we've tried at at Rove is just keeping um, it more lean um, and using other more scalable channels. Um, And so there's a lot of community building platforms like Discord that we take advantage of now um, where we can pretty easily, you know, uh, put a question out to folks and get feedback really quick. Um, And so that's not going to take the place of, you know, doing a really nice ethnograph. And we still try and do those on a somewhat frequent basis. But it's easy to, like, do those kind of weekly check-ins with with groups just to see, like, where they're at on things. Um, You know, also just uh, sending them quick little two-question surveys, you know, after they complete a really meaningful task uh, to make sure you're wrapping that kind of qualitative to that. And so that's how we've been sort of approaching it. Um, You know, obviously, I love to do the the large, meaty, like, deep sort of ethnographies. um, But just having those sort of micro-feedback moments throughout your product, Is another great way to really get that call in there and have it happen on a more frequent and more media basis, which I think, you know, everyone, everyone likes, right. Um, They want it now, right. Like they don't want to spend the, the three or four weeks it takes to do a really good piece of research.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've swung so far to the quantitative side is, you know, speed's important, right. But if, if you, if you don't have the context that you, that you need or that you should have, you, you, you could be speeding in the wrong direction, right? Which is, is I think often what we see now, right? Is teams are, are building with, with great pace, but they're building in the wrong direction. And, and then they get to a point of, of saying, Oh, well, we validated this and, and user set and this is what they said they wanted. And it's like, yeah, but you only went like two layers deep, right? With that validation instead of going five or six or ten, whatever how many layers it, it was sort of warranted, right, around that particular that particular problem and aspect of the product and of your user's existence. And so I think the qualitative piece is my hope is that people begin to value it and get back to it because I think a lot of a lot of you know product a lot of product friction right now is because we're 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 surface level, right? I'm around the problem and in, in a in a user's view of it. And then and then when we build a surface solution to it, then we're surprised that it doesn't have that much value for them and, and they're not engaging in the way that we that we expected them to.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. It's so so easy to um, you know put confirmation bias on data, right? It's way harder to put confirmation bias when you are actually sitting in front of a person and they're telling you one thing
0: when, um, when they turn to you and they say, "I hate this." <laughs> I mean, that's,
1: that's pretty definitive, right? Yep, like you know, one of our um, previous prototypes we thought was doing really really well, um, you know, by the metrics. Uh, And that people were loving it because we just couldn't believe that people were putting, you know, X amount of dollars in or signing in X amount of times. Uh, But when we got out to talk to them, they were like not that excited about it, to be totally honest. Right. And so like the data all looked good. But when we talked to them and, you know, they knew we were part of the company and it, it felt like they were sugarcoating it a little bit, too. Right. And so, um, you know, it, it, after we talked to like even just 10 customers, it was clear that there was not enough value here yet for, for them, for this to be really meaningful, despite what the data was. We were like kind of fooling ourselves into thinking
0: that it was. Yeah, we can get a lot of false positives, right? That, that we think we're on the right track when, you know, we, we, we might be mostly on the right track, but it's still not a right enough track, right, to actually get the outcomes that we want out of it for users or for ourselves. Um, Totally.
1: Especially early stage and, you know, a product life cycle, uh, you know, when you're dealing with hundreds or thousands of of users uh, and they're maybe not in there quite every single day, you know, that data could be wildly wrong um, when you extrapolate that across a larger population.
0: Right. Um, Roots a good story. And, And for those that aren't from Columbus, you might not be familiar with, uh, an auto insurance company called Root that is now not really a startup anymore. They went public and, you know, um, you know, pretty, pretty successful from, you know, virtually every measure. But um, I've known the team at Root for for a while, even pre-Root. And one of the things that they ran into really early with the product was they were getting a lot of downloads and they were getting a lot of people to get a rate through the through the app. And then people weren't actually converting into having a policy through them and they couldn't figure out what was going on and the the, the the hiccup was that customers didn't want to have to deal with the hassle of canceling their current car insurance yep and, and so <laughs> they 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 finally through um, you know talking to to users about why they weren't converting, they figured it out and so then they they added essentially a power of attorney button that gave them the authority (laughs) to cancel a customer's car insurance, right? But that tells you how sort of fragile some of these things can be. Somebody might be saving a couple hundred dollars, right, on car insurance, yet they weren't going to make the five-minute phone call to their existing agent or insurance company to cancel their insurance, right? So, these things can be very nuanced and very fragile that have massive consequences. Because once they figured that out, their policy conversions went up 73% or some crazy number. it's um, <laughs> crazy. So super delicate and fragile if you're not getting, you know, the right sort of inputs and sort of assessments, right? Um, oh, totally.
1: And I mean, we had that same problem, too. Um, whenever, you know, whenever we were starting a new product, um, we, uh, you know, would have people create an account and basically get to the dashboard and then kind of draw and we were like, oh, there, there just must not be enough value there yet, right? Like, So we kept trying to build more new features on top of that. It wasn't until we actually like got out and talked to them uh, that you know we found out that it was no. They just didn't know what to do next. They didn't know what that next step actually was. Uh, and so in less than a sprint, we were able to get just like a little like, you know, progress bar um, that kind of just mapped out the next three steps for them, changed our conversions by like 70%. Um, and so just something as small as a little like status bar, uh, completely changed all of our metrics, but yeah. we wouldn't have known that without talking to them. Right. You can't, you know, once you just see that there's a dropout point in the data, you can't actually figure out, uh, like why that is. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, my man, good chatting with you. Any, any final thoughts, uh, for the, the crew and to put in, into the archives as part of this recording when, people, you know, 20 or 30 years from now are watching us <laughs> on YouTube?
1: Uh, no, just uh, thanks so much for everyone's time and, and thoughts. And yeah, I'm, I'm always open. Um, if anyone has any, you know, additional questions, um, I can be reached at uh, JNOT4 on Twitter or JNOT at Rove.com. Uh, Feel free to shoot me an email. I'm always down to talk to people, um, you know, whenever I was first uh, working in the UX and, and product. Uh, space you know talking with with pros and the not to think that I'm a pro but just talking with someone with experience in the space was you know some of the most meaningful moments uh in my career development and so I'm happy to 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 give that back to the to everyone
0: well you're humble uh, because you are you are a pro at this point Uh, it's easy to think yeah thanks for thanks for grabbing the mic and jump on appreciate it man yeah absolutely thanks again
1: Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at AWHNet to learn more.